So I was cleaning up after breakfast just there, and uh, I looked out on the lawn. I was at the sink, was washing up, and I'm just looking out the window. I, I have a savage view from my kitchen. It's out onto my back garden, and there's fields, and the horizon is, you know, 50 miles away. It's class. But I was looking at the lawn, and I said to myself, Jez, I could do it more than that again. Now, I only mowed it, not the weekend gone, the previous week, so maybe 10 days ago. And for the most part, like it's the 23rd of March, most people in Ireland haven't mowed their lawns once this year. Never mind doing it every 10 odd days. But then again, I'm not most people. And for me, having the lawns mowed and the hedges trimmed, that's a that's a proxy for my mental health. You You could know how well I'm doing psychologically by driving past my house. Because if everything is in order, if the driveway is pristine, if the lawns are mowed within an inch of their lives, if I've got geometric hedges, you can be fairly fucking sure that all is good in Frano's world. Now, you know, you always have, there's always the downside of life, but as past guest and friend of the show once said, the joy is not the same without the pain. Shattered to past guest and friend of the show, Pat O'Reilly. So look, there's always there's always stuff, but and I mean that I mean there's always stuff. So if if you have it in your head, you can't wait for your life to be perfect. Good luck with that. But we can we can do what we can to make ourselves psychologically sound, basically in the exact same way that we can make ourselves financially sound. We can be astute savers and we can keep an eye on what's going out versus what's coming in and all the rest of it, and we can have. A, we can have something to we can have something to fall back on financially, and I think that the same can be said psychologically. Because if you have ten things in your life, even less, so the big ones, the big pillars of our lives essentially are personal relationships. So you you and the wife or the husband or the boyfriend or whatever it is, your kids, like your immediate family. Then there's your extended family. Or you obviously have your mom and your dad and your brothers and sisters, your extended family then, your your cousins and your friends, your job, what you do outside of work, any kind of hobbies that you might have. The more of these things that you have and that are going well for you, the better insulated you are when one of those things goes south. Because you're always going to have some bitch fit with your husband or your wife or your kids are every so often they're always going to wreck your fucking head and your friends are going to act like wankers every so often so you, you can't you know those guys who spin plates on top of sticks and they run around the stage and they're fucking spinning 50 different plates your life is like that to a certain degree and when you've got 50 plates and they're all spinning if one or two of them fall you can run over and pick them up but if the, and enough of the other plates keep going in order for you to keep picking up the fallen plates. And your life is a little bit like that. But if you only have two things and one of them falls and then the other one falls, then you've got no plates in the air and you're fucked. The show is over. It's fucking boo to your fucking life, basically. And as I, as I was looking out at my garden and I was admiring the, the lawn and the hedges, more so the hedges because... The lawn's been clipped a couple of times and there's starting to be a bit of growth in it. So when I looked out at it this morning, I said to myself, that needs to be mowed. Now, it doesn't need to be mowed. But as far as I'm concerned, when your lawn needs to be mowed, you've left it too fucking late. And that's, that's the kind of standard that I'm operating under. And it's taken me fucking 20 years of mowing that fucking lawn to get to that point. 
Like there was a time in my not too distant past where, you know, weeks could go by and I wouldn't pick up the dog shit. These days I pick bird shit off my lawn. And that's, that's the difference. And psychologically, I'm doing way better now than I would have been back then. And again, the amount of dog shit that's on my lawn is a proxy for how well I'm doing mentally. But when I looked out at the hedge, I thought to myself, oh, fucking hell, that, like the hedge hasn't grown a millimetre in the last six months nearly. Because in Ireland, this time of year, it just doesn't. Now, it'll need to be clipped nearly as often as I mow the lawns during the summer if I want to keep it looking like it's been recently done. Because you clip it and two weeks later there's eight inch tall shoots popping out of it everywhere and it just looks untidy and it just looks a bit shit. To me at least, most people wouldn't notice, but I'm not most people as I said, I'd notice. So it's important for me psychologically to stay on top of it. But it had me thinking, the hedge, it had me thinking about the previous six months. Because it's not as though I woke up every morning, looked out the window and went, Oh, look at that hedge, it's not just fucking deadly. And It didn't exactly fill my life full of joy every time I looked out at it and saw that it was neatly trimmed. Say. And it doesn't generally. But most winters pre this moment... My hedge hasn't looked that well because for whatever reason I didn't get that last cut in and the weather decreased and then, or deteriorated rather, and then the evenings close in and you're not that fucking arsed and all the rest of it. But this year I was on top of it, got it nicely cut just at the end of the season when growth essentially stopped. So it's been... In a state of frozen animation for the last six months or so. And I've gotten savage value out of it. But as I said, that doesn't mean that I look out and go, Oh, it's not just brilliant. It doesn't just fill me full of fucking happiness and joy. But when it's looking shit for that six months, it, it hits me. I look out and I go, Oh, for fuck's sake, I should have done that. And that might happen ten times a week. You look at it and you're like, Oh, fuck, I really should have done that. I really should do that. And it gets in on you. Now again, it's not going to ruin your fucking day and it's certainly not going to ruin your life. But I've spoken about this idea of psychological scratches before. And it's like, it's it's akin to death by a thousand cuts. There's only so many of these tiny little psychological scratches that we can maintain. And it's the same, so, for my work environment, like how clean my grow room is. Like, that's getting in on me now at the minute because I'm that busy and I'm down here from by myself. I only have the time to do everything that absolutely needs to be done. I'm not doing any extracurricular activities down here. And cleaning the grow room will be one of them because the grow room is a very clean environment generally, but it's kept to an incredibly high standard. So any little speck of dust here and there, any cobweb or any bit of leaf that blew in the door or whatever it is, that shouldn't be there by my standards. But it is at the minute. And like the untidy hedge, it's kind of getting to me a little. And now, I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm listening to myself talking here and I can hear in the back of my mind myself saying to myself, boo fucking who, you've got dust in your grow room, you cunt, cop the fuck onto yourself. People have real fucking problems out there. And they fucking do. I know all about it. I've had my fair share of them. And those problems, they're coming. Regardless of how clean your fucking grow room is, people get sick, people die. I was chatting to a girl recently and her husband is a fireman over in Ashburn and 
I don't know the details, but he was in some sort of an accident and got mangled to fucking bits and is lucky to be alive, basically. Now, he is alive. They didn't think he'd fucking survive for God knows how long. And he has God knows how many years of tough recovery ahead of him. And whether he'll ever be the same again is yet to be seen. And that shit fucking happens, people. All the fucking time. And it's no harm being reminded of that to, to so you can fucking count your blessings, essentially. Because a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us are essentially bathed in comfort and security 24 fucking 7. And it becomes normalised. We, ex- we, we kind of expect it to continue. But entropy is a, a fundamental law of nature. Shit deteriorates. Shit degrades over time. Things fall apart. Yourself and everyone you love included. And to a large degree, you can do fuck all about any of that. And that's why it's so goddamn important to take care of the things that you can take care of. Because if you're taking care of enough things and have been doing so over time, you're building up a resilience to when things do fall apart. Like when one of those plates falls and crashes, you can survive it, you can get through it. And typically when when people get depressed and end up on um, SSRIs, antidepressants and that, for the most part, something's gone wrong in their life. Like, look, there are chemical imbalances in people's brains and SSRIs can help with that. You can have everything in order in your life and there just might be some little thing... You know, like a, an ulcer in your stomach or the, only the equivalent in your psyche. And you need a little bit of a fucking dig out from a, a, a psychostimulant or whatever it is, some serotonin reuptake inhibitor or whatever have you. These things can very much help people. But as far as I'm concerned, the overwhelming majority of people who are on that type of medication have it because their lives are in disarray for one reason or another. They, haven't ha- they don't have a good job or they don't have any job or they've been jumping from job to job their entire fucking life. Maybe they're under serious financial strain. Maybe they're worried about losing their house. Maybe they married the wrong person. Maybe they're going out with the wrong girl. Maybe they have a terrible relationship with their 20-year-old kid or their 4-year-old kid. Or You know, pick your poison. There's any amount of things that can go fucking arseways in anybody's life. But I suppose that the key thing that I'm striving to get towards here is if you have a leak in your roof, the second you see water, the second there's some sort of an ingress, the second you see a drip in the ceiling, you need to fucking attend to that. Because it'll literally only get worse and worse and worse with every passing day. But if you're not on top of everything else, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to give whatever it is that's gone wrong the time to fix it. And it will inevitably get worse over time. And that it that weighs on you. Like the like in previous years when I had the hedge clipped nicely, it weighed on me. Now not a fucking whole pile. Do you know what kind of way I'm, I I fully appreciate the lap of luxury that I live in, and I fully I fully appreciate what it might sound to somebody living in Ukraine right now, listening to me complaining about how my hedge hasn't been trimmed to within an inch of its fucking life in previous years, and boo hoo for fucking me. But I think the point still stands. If you don't stay on top of the little things, those little things will become big things. And if you haven't stayed on top of 10 little things, that's 10 big things. And 10 big things is enough to ruin your fucking life and ruin everybody's life around you. 
Because we often think of ourselves in isolation, but we're not isolated. Unless you're some sort of a fucking recluse. And even then you're not isolated. Because there's people who miss you. There's people who would like to see you every so often. So even if you've decided to live in a forest or a cave for your entire life and bother nobody and not be in anybody's way or not affect anybody else's lives, you are affecting other people's lives because you're missing from their lives. And it obviously doesn't have to be hedges or lawns or grow rooms. I mean, if you've never had what's called a full window, your NCT, your tax and insurance, like not having one or any of those things, which I've been in that unfortunate position before, it's not as though you realise you've no tax or insurance or whatever it is or NCT. It's not as though you realise that and then you feel shit and that's the end of it. That fucking weighs on you. Anytime you have to go and collect somebody, it's like, oh, fuck. Or anytime you have to drive anywhere, it's like, oh, fuck. Or anytime you see a flashing blue light or even you hear a siren on the fucking movie you're watching, it's like, oh, fuck. And you go to bed with that. Like I was saying there the other day, I wasn't particularly anxious about herself heading off to Doha but subconsciously I was and these things weigh on us subconsciously and speaking of subconsciously I've spoken endlessly about this idea that you yourself you're, you're, you and your entirety is split into two I like the term your ego and your soul but you could there's half a dozen different ways that you could describe it you could call it your unconscious and your ego or your I don't know there's half a dozen different ways of phrasing it But what I was thinking about the anxiety attack the other day was your ego is essentially offline for that. Not entirely. It's entirely offline when you have a panic attack. And a panic attack, from my experience, is basically just an anxiety attack which is fucking awful, multiplied by 10. But what happens with a panic attack, and I think this might be the distinction between a panic attack and an anxiety attack, it's it's in part at least. A panic attack is a purely soulful experience. because you're, And the reason I say that is because your ego is offline. Thought and time go out the window. Hallmarks that your ego are offline. If, if time has gone out the window and language has gone out the window, you can be fairly sure you're having a soulful experience. Now on the positive end of things, that's when... You know, you, you score a goal in the dying seconds of the World Cup final to fucking to win the, the tournament. And you turn to the crowd and go, yes! Like that's, you're saying yes, or you're saying yeah, but I don't think that's the same circuit as language. That's, a, that's something deeper. That's, a, that, that's, that's in the realm of growls and grunts. It's a primordial, primitive, base instinct thing. And I think that's a soulful experience. Nobody ever scores a goal in that situation and turns to the crowd and says, I'm delighted with my performance today. The way I hit that ball of leather into the net past the person who was supposed to defend it was incredible. I'm delighted with myself. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. That would be pure ego. That would be, that's just language. That's words. But yeah, it doesn't even mean anything, but everybody knows exactly what it means because it's a soulful thing. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, I think that's what a panic attack is. Your ego is offline and it's purely a soulful experience. And that's why a panic attack can be very hard for people to articulate because you can't articulate something that the ego hasn't experienced. It's like a a religious experience. Your ego goes offline and it's a purely emotional, purely soulful experience 
the same can be said of psychedelic experiences. You're like in, within a, a deep enough psychedelic experience, you literally experience what's well known as ego death. And what you're left with is just emotion, just pure, raw feeling. And that's essentially what a panic attack is. And you can have, quote-unquote, bad trips on psychedelics. And they're the same as the euphoric experience, only it's, it's the opposite, basically. I don't think you can feel as bad as you do in a, quote-unquote, bad trip as with any other experience. It's like, it's like, you know, a, it's like when you lose a loved one, somebody really, really close to you dies. There are no words and there are no words are the hallmark of a soulful experience. When there are no words, that's what a soulful experience is. And that could be either end of the spectrum. That could be the best day of your life or the worst day of your life. And I often talk about the, the ego and the soul being, being separate, being two halves of of whatever makes up you and I stand over that but there's an integration between the two of them that I I don't think I've probably spoken enough about but we might just leave that till tomorrow's episode and on that note I'll catch you tomorrow